Welcome to the 20-Minute Bible Study, a teaching podcast from Faith on Hill Church in Milwaukee, Oregon. My name's Adam. I'm the pastor at Faith on Hill. And while I put 20 minutes on the timer, why don't you open your Bibles to the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 5. Well, last week... We talked about how the Ark of the Covenant had been captured in battle, how the sons of the high priest Eli, Hophni, and Phinehas, who were wicked men and God had pronounced a judgment on them, were killed in that battle. Over 30,000 of Israel's soldiers died, in addition to the 4,000 plus who had died in previous battle. And then on hearing the news that the Ark had been captured, Eli, the high priest, fell over and broke his neck and died. And the ark was taken by the Philistines. And we catch up with that story in chapter 5, verse 1. After the Philistines had captured the ark of God, they took it from Ebenezer to Ashdod. There they carried the ark into Dagon's temple and sat it beside Dagon. And Dagon was uh, their main god. Um, That was the temple of Dagon. It was their, their false god. And when the people of Ashdod rose early the next day, there was Dagon fallen on his face on the ground before the ark of the Lord. They took Dagon and put him back in his place. But the following morning when they rose, there was Dagon, fallen on his face on the ground before the ark of the Lord. His head and hands had been broken off, and they were lying on the threshold, only his body remained. That is why to this day, neither the priests of Dagon nor any others who enter Dagon's temple at Ashdod step on the threshold. So what's going on there was that they take it back, they take the ark to their temple as a trophy, as a sign of victory, and they place it before their their god, Dagon, and they say, hey, Dagon, thank you. You brought us victory. Our, our, Our enemies, these rebellious Israelites, brought their god into battle, and yet you are so powerful that from this temple you sent forth your power and you caused our victory. That's what they're saying. And the next morning they get up and the statue of Dagon, and if if you want to know what that looks like, this is one of those, just go do a Google image search, but you can imagine a a tall humanoid-like statue that they would have worshipped, and it has fallen down as if it is bowing before the ark. Well, that's weird. Oh, there must have, was there an earthquake last night? Oh, something, you know, somebody, something happened. So they lift it back up, they secure it, And the next morning they come and it's fallen again. And this time the fall has broken its head off and the the hands have broken off, showing its power removed. Again, this isn't like literally like, oh, you just have to break off the head of a false idol and that's how you remove its power. But it's how they would have understood it. It's how they would have processed it. And then the writer gives us uh, insight into a tradition. So uh, it kind of became a known ritual that they would not step on the threshold, that they would step on over the threshold, um, and that was their uh, their practice as a, as a sign of remembering. Uh, oh, we don't, you know, we don't want to make this uh, whatever happened there. We don't want to make anybody mad. We're still going to follow Dagon, but we don't want to make anybody else mad. Verse six: The Lord's hand was heavy on the people of Ashdod and its vicinity, and He brought devastation on them and afflicted them with tumors. When the people of Ashdod saw what was happening, they said, the ark of the God of Israel must not stay here with us. 
because his hand is heavy on us and Dagon, our God. So they called together all the rulers of the Philistines and asked them, what shall we do with the ark of the God of Israel? And they answered, have the ark of the God of Israel moved to Gath. So they moved the ark of the God of Israel. Now, what's going on here? God is showing his power over the Philistines. Yes, Israel was in sin and rebellion to God. Yes, corruption and immorality were rampant in Israel. That is true. But God is going to deal with his people. But they're still his people. I was talking to a friend recently who might be labeled as exvangelical, somebody who has left the church. Exvangelical is a, is a kind of a term that I, I don't know who came up with it, but they would identify with people who have left the church, and now they're trying to tell the stories of how horrible the church was. And I have, a, I, I have kind of a dual response to that approach. And maybe you've seen this, right? I have a lot of friends, people that I grew up with in the church, people that I knew later in life. I didn't grow up in the same church with them, but I knew them as Christians, and now they are deconstructing their faith. And um, I'd known people after they've deconstructed their faith. And they, I, I didn't know them when they were uh, church-going or professing faith. I just know them after. So I have a dual response. First of all, I have great sympathy because I know that there are abusive churches, toxic Christians, people who claim to be Christians who act as if they are of the world, people who are Christians who just don't know how to act right. And so I have great sympathy. Like when somebody tells, I want to hear your story. And I have a standing offer. I'm, I am the pastor of a church. And let's say that somebody had a, a horrific experience in the church. And that church has not been accountable for it. That leader, that person, that group, whatever, has not been accountable. And they just want somebody to listen and hear their story. I'll listen. If you just need to yell at a pastor... I am willing to be that pastor because I know that there's real hurts, right? We, we know about the stories of abuse in the Catholic church. We know about the stories of abuse in the independent Baptist churches here in America. We, we can see, you know, I'm, I'm tracking the news on a group of churches called the ARC. Um, and there are ARC churches here in Portland. And there is really serious scandal going on with their leaders, covering up uh, embezzlement and um, sexual sin and all this stuff. And honestly, the group of churches I grew up in in the Calvary chapels, they've got all their own issues. And so I am, I, as a pastor, I'm like, yeah, if you need to just yell at a pastor and, and just have him listen, and you don't get to say anything, pastor, I'm willing to do that. At the same time, when I said I have a dual response, I have a friend who will tell you about the horrible, abusive, conservative, evangelical church that he grew up in. And I have, to his face, said, that's not real. And why, why do I say that? Well, first of all, he's my friend, so I have relationship with him to say that. I wouldn't say that to somebody I just met. But because I know him, and I know his story and his background, I say, look, I'm not going to say that your parents were perfect, but they were artsy hippies. You, 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 yes, you were homeschooled, but it wasn't like... It wasn't like one of these documentaries about like some kind of like cultish, uh, oppressive, repressive thing. Like, you know, it was like, let's paint our feelings today. 
you know, it, it, like what you're describing is a caricature that might be true in someone else's experience, but I don't think it was true in yours. I talked to another friend recently who talked about the, the horrible uh, abuse that they, that they experienced in the church. And again, I grew up with them. I have a relationship with them. I know their story. So I have some perspective on this and I'm saying, okay, I get what you're saying and the specific situation you're talking about, nobody's going to say that that was appropriate, but there's a lot of revisionist history going on. There, there is a lot of revisionist history going on. It's almost to the point of gaslighting other people. Are, you're mad that the church told you not to go get drunk? You're mad that the church told you that sleeping with your boyfriend was outside of God's plan? That's what the church has always believed. It's what we've always taught. And it's because it's true. Being bound by substances is never going to be good for you. Giving into sexual immorality is never going to be as good as following God's plan for holiness with our bodies. I, I mean, I, I'm, you know, I'm sorry if you've decided to go a different way, but that's not abuse. That's just the church teaching what we know to be true. You know, it's amazing to me. That's oh, a tangent, I know, but follow me on this, okay? It's amazing to me how, I'll tell you, the thing that I fear the most with my kids is not the bad influence of the bad kids, although that's a concern. I fear the cool parents. I fear the cool parents. The, I, used to, I used to work in management for a chain of grocery stores, and one of the first stores I was a manager at, there were a bunch of high school kids or kids just out of high school that worked at the grocery store. And then there was the mom of one of these kids and they would all go over to that house and the mom would come in and buy, you know, all kinds of booze and everything. And it was for the, these kids that worked at the grocery store because they were just going to go out and, and party and the, the cool mom was getting in the booze. One time I was in a coffee shop. I was in a coffee shop. Uh, I was studying for a, a, a Bible study. I was getting ready to preach a sermon. And these parents were having a conversation uh, with each other. And it was about the upcoming junior, senior prom. And they were at a, um, and you think, oh, it's public school, right? No, they were at like a private Christian school. Because I, you know, they, they said the name of the school as they were talking about it, and I knew the school. And they were, it wasn't a question about whether the kids were going to party. It was just a question of, well, should we be the ones who buy the alcohol, or is that on them to figure out how to get the alcohol? It was just a question of supply. And so, why I'm saying I fear the cool parents is when you think about how many friends of mine are in recovery. How many friends of mine are in recovery? And nobody talks about, you know, I need to, the issue wasn't the abusive church. The issue was the worldly adults who encouraged the activities that led to my downfall, that led to my suffering, whether it is substance abuse or STDs, which are off the chart. STDs are off the chart. Right now in, in Los Angeles County, they're talking about, like, they, they haven't seen it this bad since the 80s. 
But nobody talks about deconstructing that, the harm that that does. Oh my goodness, the church encouraged you to live in a way so that you would not be given to addiction, so that you would not be exposed to disease. How horrible. I'm sorry if that sounds callous. And if you know somebody or you yourself are somebody who has had uh, kind of a, a deconstruction and trying to work through what, it, what do I believe versus an abusive church culture, I'm not trying to be unsympathetic. Remember, I started, I, I, wa- I want to listen to anybody's story. Any, any person can come yell at this pastor. That's fine. But think about it both ways. I have found that people who want to deconstruct their faith, they want to shine a light on all the things they see wrong with the church. But if anyone even shines a little of that light on them, that's not allowed. So anyway, they all get together. They have this plague, and the plague comes from God. They have these tumors. And, you know... To this day, you'll hear people say, oh, there was a, a hurricane here or a, um, a thing that happened here or 9-11 was the judgment of God or whatever. And, and I've had people come to me and say, you know, hey, Adam, you're a pastor. What do you think about this? And I'll say, look, if that earthquake was a judgment from God, it's not very clear that it was. There is not a, a clear sense. We, we don't have a recognized prophet that got up and said that there's a judgment coming. The people collectively haven't recognized it as such. Here, the people in Ashdod and the surrounding reasons collectively recognized it as a judgment from the God of Israel because they had taken the Ark of the Covenant. So they go and they say, hey, what, what should we do? And they say, move it to Gath. So they moved it to Gath. But after they moved it, then the hand of the Lord was against that city, throwing it into a great panic. And he afflicted the people of the city, both young and old, with an outburst of tumors. So they sent the ark of God to Ekron. And as the ark of God was entering Ekron, the people of Ekron, they were smarter than the people of Gath. And they cried out, they have brought the ark of the God of Israel around to kill us and our people. Verse 11, so they called together all the rulers of the Philistines and they said, send the ark of the God of the people of Israel away. Let it go to its own place or it will kill us and our people. Ashdod, Gath, Come to Ekron. Ekron said, no, we don't want any part of this. Now, do they want to turn and worship the true God? No, but they at least have the sense to know we don't want to deal with this. For death has filled the city with panic, and God's hand was very heavy on it. So those who did not die were afflicted with tumors, and the outcry of the city went up to heaven. So they say, hey, we want no part of this. We want nothing to do with this. Let me tell you that if, if, you, if you have at least, you're not a believer, I'm not going to follow Jesus, but I'm going to try to live in kind of Christian principles, I genuinely believe things will be better for you. And, and here we don't see them turning away, but what we do see is we see them, um, we see them at least recognizing some basic truths. We see them recognizing some basic truths. You know, I am not one who believes we should have the Ten Commandments up in our public buildings. I, I, look, I understand there's separation of church and state. What bothers me isn't that we want to remove uh, religious things, although I think there's historical conversations to be had there. What bothers me is we, as a culture, we don't like the Ten Commandments. That 
even if you take the part about worshiping God out of it, if you just make it secular as a rule of morals, we don't like the Ten Commandments. We don't mind lying. We don't mind coveting. We certainly don't mind adultery. We don't mind violence. It says, thou shall not murder. What do you mean? I'm not for murder. I'm not pro-murder. No, but you're pro-choice. Don't tell me that baby isn't alive in the womb. Now, if you had an abortion, if you drove a woman to get an abortion, I know a lot of men who live with guilt because they drove their girlfriends to end the life of their child. I know men who have guilt because they were the ones pushing their girlfriends to get that abortion. The girlfriend didn't necessarily want to, but the, the guy did. I know women who have guilt, and, and, and uh, I have know a lady whose ministry, her the last 40 years, her ministry has been counseling women who have had abortions because what they don't tell you is that there is actually uh, emotional and, and psychological trauma that happens after this when you realize what you've done. There's a lot of things they don't tell you. They don't tell you about the deep regret that people feel after they've had um, a sex change operation. They don't tell, seriously, they don't, tell, they don't talk about these things. They, they, they talk, I mean, it's, it, everything is about living yourself and living your truth and, and enjoying yourself. And then they don't talk, like, there, there's no talk about, like, the consequences of, of, of anything. Here's, here's what I'm getting at. Is you might say, oh, I'm not pro-murder, but you're pro-choice. Oh, I'm not pro-murder, but you're pro-war. You know, I'm not pro-choice. I'm pro-life. Really? You're pro-life, but you seem to support policies that lead to violence. What I'm getting at is this, is that we, we don't even want to follow anything to do with God as a people. At least the people of Ekron said, we don't want anything to do with this business. Send it back. Because there was real-world consequences to being opposed to God. People were dying. People were panicking. People were suffering. Now, somebody might say, well, that's God's fault. He sent, the, he sent that plague. That's not the people's fault. It's God's fault. No, this was the consequence. This was the natural repercussion. They did something big, and there was a big response. The Bible says that one day at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. But that is not speaking of somebody who becomes a Christian now who in faith says, yes, I believe that Jesus is Lord and I ask Jesus to forgive my sins and save me from the death and destruction my sins have brought. That's people who are brought to a place of submission because Jesus has returned and he has set things right and the world is his and he is coming as the conquering king. The first time Jesus came, he came as a suffering servant to seek and save the lost. When he returns again in his second coming, he comes as a conquering king to set things right and to end the rebellion of this world. And those who bow then will bow in submission because they have been conquered. Just because you recognize God doesn't mean that you are his. And so the challenge to us is we could be like Ekron and we can recognize God's truths, but that's not going to change anything. Or we can be like those who have come before us who have said, Jesus is Lord. 
Jesus, forgive me. Into your hands I commit my spirit. Remember me when you enter your kingdom. And we can in faith believe that Jesus has forgiven our sins and then in faith be filled with the Holy Spirit so that we see actual life change in this world. Ekron had the right idea. Let's not, let's not be opposed to God. But they didn't follow through. And then that not following through, I think ultimately they still suffered the same fate. And that's a tragedy. I want to thank you for joining us for another episode of the 20-Minute Bible Study. New episodes are released on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Video versions are on our Facebook. You can follow Faith on Hill on social media. We are at Faith on Hill, both Instagram and Facebook. We meet every Sunday morning in person at 10.30 a.m. for church. We gather throughout the week in small groups. We have small groups that meet Sunday mornings. We have a young adult small group on Tuesday nights, a youth group on Tuesday nights, an online small group on Wednesday nights. You can email smallgroups at faithonhill.com for more information. My name's Adam. I want to thank you for joining us for another episode of the 20-Minute Bible Study.